A cow? Are you kidding me? A cow doing this? Yeah. Rising guy got nothing on the cow, man. That's Yeah. You're invited to a bridal shower. You got the whole what? Nothing. <laughs> Wait. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. You didn't. All right. First John. First one. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you again for this time of worship, God, where we can just adore you, Lord. We can just be at your feet and do what's pleasing unto you, Lord. It's what you created us for, and Lord, you deserve it. You're more than worthy, God. So, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your word and the freedom that we have here in this country, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would just author all these words and that you would just put it all together, God, and that you may have center of attention today, Lord, and tonight and for the rest of our lives and our hearts, Lord. And we love you and thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, what did we learn? That the epistle was written for those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that we may know that we may have eternal that we have eternal life, and that we may continue to believe in the name of Jesus. Right? We talked about His name. Um, best verse that we talked about all the verses that led up to it, but the re- best verse was First John chapter 5 verse 13 which i just read for you guys we also touched on the fact that um jesus uh the eternal life was manifested unto us uh that it was made real that he didn't we didn't have to he wasn't said here that we would have to look for him you know he was he was made flesh and dwelt among us and um that this flesh that dwelt among us was real life real bones and you know skin and 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 it was God. It was God stepping out of eternity and into mortality. So from there, we saw in verse 3 and 4, we were encouraged that to have fellowship with God and with one another was to produce one thing. Because we can't manufacture joy. So it was to produce joy. That we would have fellowship with not only God, and we would have it with one another. And that was the prerequisite. The prerequisite is that we would have first fellowship with God, that we could have fellowship with one another. Um, so what happens as God's, as we, our fellowship with God deepens, our fellowship with one another gets just deeper. It gets, we, we find out the true meaning of love. We find out the true meaning of serving one another because we become more and more like Jesus. So, in our individual 
fellowship with God, if that if if that fellowship is absent, then we can't have fellowship with one another, right? We realize that. We realize that you know if that is absent, then we have nothing to do here. Why are we here? Why are we here together? You know, if we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, then we really can't see eye to eye on the main fact of life. You know, we can't see eye to eye on the one thing that's necessary. You know, if there's like I talked about earlier or last week, you know, bipolars can can come together and fellowship with one another because they have the one thing that's needful in common, which is awesome. Consequently, we will experience joy. We, you know, uh, we don't know. We won't know how to describe joy if we don't have fellowship with God. We won't know how to describe the fullness of joy if we don't have Jesus, right? Because we won't have it. Because in His presence is joy. You know, so it's good. As I sit down, it's more comfortable sitting down for some reason. So, um, we. It was cool. We, we we hit a lot of nugs. You know, we encountered the fact that the microphone is going to fall. <laughs> um, yeah. We encountered the fact that, you know, God is holy. God is pure. And as we walk in his light, as he is light, we will be more like him. And that's the main goal, right? You know, just as we were singing right now, um, you know, we see his face and it's shining, you know, and all we can do is just be the mirror image of that face, be the mirror image to the people that don't know him, that they might know him because they have no clue. They have no clue who he is. They have no clue what he's about, his business. They have nothing to do with him. They want nothing to do with him. But here we are put in specific places at a doctor's office, you know, at um, even among Christians, me at, at, at a wireless um, provider. You know, we're there for a reason and we're there to just make Jesus clear to everybody. And that's our goal. That's what we set from the beginning uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago and our vision for this um, group. And we just need to run with it. So, um we need to be in tune with the Lord. That's the only way this is going to come, is if we're in tune with the Lord and that we may be able to discern the things of God and discern the things that are not of God, discern what is sin and what is not sin, you know, what can stumble somebody and what cannot stumble somebody. And we're just going to know it by knowing him, you know, because we will have his heart. We will, every attribute that is of Jesus will then be placed in our minds to change our mindsets from the inside to the outside that we may just be able, like, what did I say? To, to just spill forth the abundance of our heart, right? All the joy that's in us by hanging out with Jesus, by just being in devotion with him, by being in communion with him. It's just going to help us. Our heart's not going to contain this joy. It's too much. So what do we do naturally is just let it flow. Let it just come out and just let it be Jesus to everybody else. See, those people are looking for words. They're looking for philosophies. They're looking for, um, you know, Dr. Philisms or something. I don't know. They're looking for something to fill them. You know, they always go. They have counseling. They, you know, some people even reject counseling. You know, they, they're too prideful, you know, to even accept counseling. Um, and they're still looking for something else. And, you know, as we can all stay at being Christians here that, 
this word right here, this entirety from page one all the way until the end is the fullness of life. And it's what gives us life. You know, but we have to keep in mind one thing. That in order to recognize the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God, we must recognize what separates us from Him. We must realize that there is a there is a sin nature in us. We must recognize this, that it separated us from the beginning of time, from Genesis chapter 3, and it's affected humanity, and it's been like a snowball effect. And it's just increased in, in depth, just like God's love has just had to. It's God's love has been forced to increase because of the sin that has increased, right? Where grace abounds, I mean, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Now think about that. For there to be grace, there has to be love. So as sin increases, so does grace, and so does love, and so does truth. Truth becomes more relevant to us. Truth becomes more relevant to churches. You know, everybody's like, oh, well, that's not relevant. Truth is relevant. This right here is real life. This dwelt among us. You know, so we must realize what separates us from God. We must take that reality and take it as a reality. You know, it's it's something real that can keep separating us. There could be a departure from us. You know, we could let go at one point and all of a sudden we're farther than we thought. You know, sin always takes you. I forgot what uh, I think it was Bill Welsh was talking about is that sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It always takes you farther than you want to go. It always uh, uh, puts you more in debt that you, than you ever wanted to be in. You know, it it makes you think the worst things in your mind that you never, those thoughts that you never want to think about, it goes there. It, because it just begins, begins a complete separation between you and God. So, we must understand the reason and the, and the reality of sin so we may understand the reason and the cause for Jesus coming down and becoming flesh. Because if there was no sin, then Jesus did not have to come down. But reality is, from the beginning, it separated us. So, verse 8, we're going to finish chapter 1 and get into chapter 2. It says, if we say that we have no sin, wow, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, Ellis, uh, the same guy I quoted last time, said, If we say that we have no sin, we assert an innocence that we do not have and make the death of Jesus unnecessary. <laughs> we assert an innocence that we do not have and make the death of Jesus unnecessary. We concluded in Scripture, as we let Scripture interpret Scripture, because that's what we do here, um, that one of the reasons for the writing of this epistle is that we may not be deceived. Right. One of the reasons what for this book is so that we may not be deceived. But here it's stating that if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. How fitting is it to say that if we declare ourselves righteous, we deceive ourselves. We make ourselves a liar against the spirit that dwells within us. We make ourselves antichrist in the fact that we take the, the work of Jesus in us and make it as a trend, make it as a fashion. 
a fashion trend. You know, we before you know I, I, there was a season where cardigans were super in. There was a season where when you know skinny jeans are they're flourishing right now. You know, but I will I will choose I will abstain from that sin. You know, <laughs> the thing is is that if we continue. If we declare ourselves righteous, we deceive ourselves. And we become antichrist in the fact that we make Jesus just a, a coming and going. It's like a seizing in our lives. It's an epic that they call it, E-P-O-C-H. It's a time frame. It's, a, it's a, like, you know, the Renaissance was a time frame. You know, it came and it went. And people try to revive it, right? Oktoberfest, they try to revive that era. You know, so with us. You know, if we treat it as a trend, as a little season in our lives, what happens? In the end, when we begin, when we're on our death pit, we're going to try to revive that old man, and it's going to be too late. We won't know what Jesus is. We won't know. We know that he's the savior of the world. We'll know that he can save us, but we'll know that we wasted our lives in sin and saw that season as less valuable than walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. The fact is that when we entertain this innocence, we question the truth that is within us. That's what it says. It says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We begin to doubt the history of God. We begin to doubt his authorship because this goes back. If we doubt um, his truth, we doubt it from the beginning. It's not like you can just say, oh, this is God's truth, just this chapter right here, because this is what it's talking about. No. We go from, from the front all the way to the back. You know, and it's ultimately, we begin to nullify and disqualify the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that he came for, everything that he did, we begin to void it. We begin to make it void. We, we begin to devalue it. Just like the dollar has devalued, we begin to devalue the, the cost of the cross. How insane is that? You know, we, we make Jesus to be as a common gods of this earth. You know, the real issue is that we place something in his place. Where he belongs in our heart, that throne room in our heart, we dethrone him and we add something. And it's always rooted with our pride. It's always rooted with our capabilities, with our abilities. But then it falters when we realize that, hey, we can't do this on our own. We weren't made to. We weren't made. This life wasn't made to live without God. Think about that. Our lives were not made. We were made to be the mirror image of God. And to glorify him, to worship him, it's all about him. Without him, everything else is destruction. It's just, it's irrelevant. You know, it's not good. You know, maybe realize that depth of that apostasy. And, you know, some people say it, the, the unpardonable sin. That is the unpardonable sin. To disqualify and nullify the work of Jesus and put something else there that doesn't belong there. But on the flip side, oh, I love the flip side. You know, it's just so good. There's always two sides of the coin with Jesus. We always, he always gives us, hey, you know what? In, in all his word, you know, check this out. In the, in the Old Testament, it's blessings 
by way of obedience and cursing is by the way of disobedience. You know, well, so also here, you know, it says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a very powerful statement. But then it says, if we confess our sins, the complete opposite of that, the language that John uses here is nuts. He goes, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a big if. That's a big if. That if is the root of all prideful man and woman. It's the root. That if right there is the worst. It's, it's, it becomes more of a question. They, they take this, this uh, little verse here and they pose it as a question instead of a desire. You know, it, to us that are Christians, Bible-believing Christians, in tune with the things of the Lord, we should want to confess. Because that sin is still keeping us from knowing God more. You know, we it's separating us. It like it begins, you know, like it just puts stuff in front of us and we the, the image of Jesus just begins to get blurred out. It's like a filter in Photoshop. It just it skews the image and you're just like, wait a second, that's not what he looked like when I first got saved. What am I doing here? You know? And so we we have to realize that if we make it a question, we then begin to question the entirety of God's word. But if we make it a desire, God's word just comes alive. It just makes it so much realer to us. The reality of sin and the fact that we just need to confess. We need to. You know, John's line, it's an if-then statement. We, we've all learned if-then statements. You know, treat it as that. You know, it, it, it deals with responsibility. It, it requires action. It demands our immediate attention. For in this statement, the power of sin is overcome by the power of the cross. Because the cross is what gave us victory through confession. Some people treat confession as a mere um, routine. When I was a kid, um, the only time I went to confession as a Catholic... I went and I felt so bad. Felt so bad. I was just like, I was on my bike and I was, look, the church, the Catholic church was about, I'll say a mile and a half. And I got on my bike. It didn't take me that long. And um, I went and I was just crying and I was just like booking it on my bike. I was like, I need to confess. I need to confess. You know, and I, every time a car would pull out, I was like, ah, you know, I'd get all scared, you know, that I would die without confession, confessing. So I get there and I sit down. The, there's nobody in line. Weird. But I got there and um, the, the priest is just chilling in there. And like I could see like a shadow because it has like little holes so he can tell that there's somebody there. And then he opens up like this little this little lever thing. is all like that. And it's like makes like a, you know, just weird sound. It's like, duh, like wood against wood, you know. And then he puts out his hand, and I'm like, uh, he's like, give me your hand. And then so I put my hand there, and then he's like, okay, uh, you know, what have you done? And so I began just spilling my guts, just everything from when I was a little, little kid, all the way until then, what made me go over there, you know, and I'm just listing everything off. And, you know, he then like it was so sad because like to me like I was so I was so disheartened you know my heart was so broken you know like I needed something I needed a savior from this 
and then he just throws open the, the door, like that little shade thing, throws it open and looks at me, and I'm like, ah, and then so I just booked it. I was like, dude, you're not supposed to do that. I told him, hey, you're not supposed to do that. He's like, well, you said some pretty crazy stuff. I was like, yeah, but you're not supposed to open the door and like look at my face. It's supposed to be privacy, you know, because that's what they think. They think that they're the mediator between God and man. So they can't, you can't see them and they could see a little bit of you. But it was the saddest picture of confession for me. It was so like, I, I like had to almost repent of confessing. You know, I was like, dude, this is not what it's supposed to be like. And that's what began, like right then, I began to question everything. Everything. And my mom was like, what happened? You went to confess and now you're like a backslidden Christ uh, Catholic? <laughs> you know, like whatever that means. You know, and I'm just like, yeah. Exactly. And so it was just so tough for me. But then I remember the day that like a couple of day, the couple of Mondays that after I got saved and I really had a true repentance in me and I didn't have to say anything. I just had to sit there and just cry. And I just said, I'm sorry. And I just kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then just everything, a picture would come up and all I would say is I'm sorry. And like that, to me, that was repentance. When my heart felt it, when my heart needed it, when I was in need of a savior and Jesus had come in and yet I still hadn't repented yet. I didn't have to say anything. The Lord met me where I was at and just said, you know what? You, you've, you've brought this to mind. You've come to me. You know what I mean? I came to Jesus and, and I was like, Lord, just deal with this. Right here, everything, it's right here. I'm sorry for all of this. And all, just, all he did is point to the cross and said, and I paid for it. How ridiculous. How, what kind of a God do we have? That he doesn't even question, he doesn't ask you to, to, to apologize. He didn't ask you to, to explain yourself. You know, he saw it from the beginning to the end and all he could say is look at my son check it out paid in full tatelestai what else were you going to do but sit there and weep sit there and just mourn the his only son he gave his only son it's it's ridiculous just a type of of heart that he has just the enormity of it and so us you know like I said it, it sin demands our immediate attention true confession it, it demands us to, to take action it requires us to act upon this verse and just like every other decision in life we decide what to do what we, the things that we decide to do on, when I decide to sin, I decide to not walk in the Spirit, I decide to fulfill the lust of the flesh, I decide to see God's obedience in front of me and say, you know what, Lord, I want to disobey it. I decide that. We can't put it upon, God. oh, God, you made me do it. 
We can't say that. We have, a, we have our own will. If God set in front of us two roads, and you only saw to the horizon, and you didn't know what was beyond that, you would pick the nicer road. Obviously, it's easier. Just like that, you know, in front of us, we have sin, and we have stuff that edifies us. And we choose to do one or the other. We choose to do that. We know when we're in the car, we choose what music to pick. When when we're you know um, going through some issues, we choose what language to use. We choose who to represent. At work, we choose who to represent. We don't we don't put on the Jesus costume and say, "All right, Lord, here I am. Send me." You know, no. You know, we we we. It's not a routine to us. You know, it's an actual life that we live reflectant upon what he's done. You know, we take everything that we get right here from this Bible and we apply it to every part of our lives. That's how we represent Jesus. It's not a costume. It's not a drug that we take. It's not, you know, a a potion or something. It's just by living and breathing this word and applying it to every facet of our lives. You know, just like I I decide to sin when I wasn't with the Lord, when I was disobeying Him. Just like I decide to rebel against Him. Just like I decide to do thus and so. Just like that, I decide for me and my house to serve the Lord. Just like that. Because it's my decision to do so. It's my decision to wake up and do my devotion. It's my decision to, you know, go and serve God at the church. It's my decision to, do, to, to please my wife in everything. It's my decision. And I could do what, either to please the Lord or to not please the Lord. And it's my decision to do so. The only thing that's trippy is that he already knows what I'm going to decide. Because he's sovereign and he's omniscient. He already knows what I'm going to do. You know, and he just equips me for that. But us, mortals, humans, we can't think how he thinks. We don't know what he knows. So we have to make the decision who to serve. By faith, I choose to hide his word in my heart that I may not sin. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have chosen to hide his word in my heart that I may not sin against you. He knows that. He's placed that there in Psalm 119 for a reason. So, if these statements are true, then we can conclude, I love logic, kind of like Brian, but... If these statements are true, if everything that I said is true, then we can conclude that our decisions produce results. Just like I decide to follow Jesus, what will happen? Blessings. Just may, like Brian's um, signature, may the Lord richly bless you. That doesn't come to the disobedient. The it doesn't come to the person that you know is completely rejecting. They don't know where their blessings come from. You know, they say, oh, it's such a blessing. Dude, you don't even know where that, where, what that word means. You don't know the cost of that word. If you, don't, if you don't apply it to the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that you may have those blessings and that you may experience God in a fuller way. 
bottom line, the decisions that we make now, today, right here in this earth, impact us, impact our walks from now until eternity. Whatever we do now, like in Gladiator, you know, our, our, our legacy echoes in eternity. Our, our works, everything that we do here, you know, whatever you do here, it's going to echo in eternity. You know, it's like, it's not like we're going to get bigger mansions or something. I don't know how God's going to work it out. He's going to disperse their heart. It's not even going to matter. There's no boasting in heaven. There's no sin. Pride is a sin. Bigger mansions cause pride. You know, think about that. You know, it's not going to matter what kind of mansion you have. It's just going to be all about Jesus. So we must realize the two eternities. There's eternity of life and there's eternal and eternal death. You know, us here, we, we, we decided to choose life. You know, but that's the choice that the world has for them. In Joshua chapter 24, 15, um, he says, choose today whom you will serve. Choose today. Go If you want to go after those gods, go ahead. But you have a choice before you. It's not forced upon you. God's love is never forced upon anybody. And we'll talk about that in a second. But us, why do I choose Jesus? Me, personally, and, and for me and, and my wife, why do I choose Jesus? Dude, where do I start? I mean, I can never have a marriage like I have it now. I can never have a relationship with the Lord. I can never worship like we just did. Who would I worship like that? There's nobody that's worthy to, for me to even like lift up a hand or stand up or put any effort and or like Brian, our worship leaders, that that why would you put any effort into worshiping a song about something else, about a relationship or something? It's not worthy. It's not worthy. I remember being in school worship, and you know we we had a chance to write a song, and these kids would come up with songs about girls. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? And and like that's the reason why I was at school worship. It was so funny that God had me there for a semester to build up one cat, one kid, to build him up, to be the person and husband he is now. And second of all, to just slap fools around. That's it. <laughs> just slap them. Just be like, dude, what are you doing with your life? Why are you... Dude, this is a school of worship. Why are you worshiping relationships? What are you doing right now? And it's not worthy. Anything we put in our full effort into besides the Lord. You know, we could do everything unto the Lord, and that's perfect and grand, because that's what we're supposed to do. But on worship, on the on the title, and to call something worship, and it's not pleasing to the Lord, that's just an abomination. It's blasphemy. It's worthless. Why do I choose Jesus? You know... I choose him because through him, I'm able to conquer everything that conquered me once before. Through him, in his grace, he gives me the power to say, all right, look, this is what you would have done seven years ago. But this is what you're going to do now. This is what you would have done, you know, 
and you, this is what you would have fallen into. This was what. Do you see the destruction, Hector? Do you see the destruction that this leads in? But look, you don't have to do that. You don't have to die. You don't have to have lung cancer. You don't have to have any sickness. Come, just come and live a life that's pleasing unto me that I may pour my blessings upon you. Oh, you're tired? Oh, you know, you're you're fearing? You're, you ha you're, you're getting beat up by the accuser of the brethren? Okay, cool, come. Come and worship that I may give you just like Jehoshaphat. Come and give you rest upon peace upon all sides. That in every area of your life that I may just bring peace. Everybody that you hurt, everybody that you just you just completely led astray, come and let me just let me restore those relationships through you. There's no other God that does that. There's no other God that when we confess and we just give our our whole hearts to he answers that call he's not like Allah he's not capricious he doesn't change his mind he doesn't say oh hey you've done all this stuff yeah you've been pleasing unto me okay you know what I'm just not feeling it I'm you're going to hell he doesn't do that but when we confess what does he do my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He doesn't change his mind. He's faithful to forgive us. When we confess, when we just release all that guilt, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what His promise is. But it's that big if. That big if comes into play again. If we confess. If we lay down the weight of sin at His feet. Spurgeon talking about penitence. He says, this is real penitence. When the man gives glory to the justice of God, even though it condemns him, O oh my hear, do you thou repent? Is sin really sinful to you? Do you see its desert of hell? If not, your repentance needs to be repented of. If we, if we don't have the right grasp of repentance, we ravage the word grace. You know, we, we have a joke, you know, we always say, Oh, grace, brother, grace. No, sin needs to be dealt with. Sometimes, you know, we mess up and we call grace and we, we treat it as like a joke. But, you know, Lord knows our hearts and we're just joking around because we messed up or dropped something. But the thing is, is that when we treat the word grace as just a common tag to ask for safety, to ask for a savior, we don't really know what the cost was. And we need to repent of that repentance. When we neglect the power of confession, we neglect the remedy diagnosed by our Father in heaven. The remedy being Jesus. If we neglect the power of confessing our sins, we make him as any other common God. We render sin powerful instead of powerless. We can't be more than conquerors. We realize that. If we don't confess, something's conquering us. Sin is conquering us if we don't confess. 
you know, we, we begin to not walk in the spirit. We begin to keep investing in those things of the flesh. Yeah, we're not in complete harmony with the Lord, with the things of his business. We're, we have we have nothing. We don't even have joy because where sin is, he can't be. So we can't even experience the presence of the Lord. And we have no joy. And just like in AA meetings, the first step is denial. You know, the first, I forgot what you call it, but the first thing, first, yeah, to admit that you have a problem is, they don't want to do it is because they're, they're denying it. They just begin to deny it. So, what happens when we begin to deny it? We claim innocence, right? Huh? <laughs> we claim innocence. Oh, yeah, but that's what my wife is doing. <laughs> oh, my little nephew. So funny. And he does something wrong, and you come up to him, you're like, what happened? What happened? He goes, I'm innocent. <laughs> like that, you know, like cops and robbers. It's so funny. It's so funny. But the thing is, going back to verse 10, it says, when we claim innocence, there's a little road, there's a little street called the Romans Road that convicts us so bad. A little road that we got to go through and see if we're really innocent. Romans 3.10, there's not one righteous, no, not one. 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is, the only, the, is only the knowledge of sin. Isaiah 64.6, but we are like an unclean thing, and all our unrighteousness are like filth, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You know, this road just numbs us. It brings us back to square one. It's like, oh, you really? You think you haven't sinned? Okay, read this real quick. And then what? It brings you back to square one. It brings you in need of a Savior. It, it brings you back to the point where, okay, now what do I do? I know now that... The word condemns me, you know, the, the law condemns me. Now what do I do? You know, and not only that, what happens? The scoffer just starts mocking you, just starts reiterating all the things that you've, you know, you've done before. And not only that, but it begins to uh, put thoughts of questioning of your salvation. Yeah, I love Scott's song, you know, when the devil sings his age old song, you know, when the when the um, the accuser beats his condemnation drum, what will we do? Will we plead the blood of Jesus? Because, like it says, our voice is heard, for our God has the final word. Dude, that song's ridiculous. First time I heard it, I was like, dude, I need that. You know, I mean, and this is me being already saved, quote unquote. You know, it's like we need to know that we need to plead the blood of Jesus upon our sin. We need to keep coming back to the cross in everything. Every time we fail, we need to come back to the cross and just experience the joy of our salvation once again. You know, if we claim sin, if we claim him innocent. What does verse ten say? 
it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We take everything he has done and, set it is, and say it's a lie. We take everything back from the garden and just say, nah, it's a lie. Because his word is not in us. We nullify his promises and make common the law he displayed on the cross. Again, that word common, making him common, of common value, nullifying the work that God with the capital G did. Factually, we separate ourselves from his will. The fact is, that's what we do. You know, we, if, if we do so, um, the blood of Jesus, can, if, we don't, if we keep on just separating and making him a liar, the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse us. Because we can't make one thing truth and one thing a lie. God's word, God's word is completely holy truth. So we can't nullify one part of it and make it our own little, our own little niche, our own little club, where we hang out and we accept one sin and not another. The thing is, is that when we do so, when we make him a liar, we have no one to plead our case. In the end, when we're at the throne and we're obviously on the white throne judgment, you know, there is no advocate for us. There is no Jesus around us. There's no other thrones like there's, a, there's God the Father and there's Jesus Christ right there pleading the case in the Bema seat. But in the white throne, it's just all justice. He's either a judge or he's your advocate. And that's the reality. You know, when we, we can say, oh, but Lord, I did all this good stuff. Look at, in society, I have a good standing with society. I was on the board. I was on uh, the city council. I did this and thus and so for the elementary schools. You know, I furthered, uh, I, I accepted every kid that came unto me under your name. Oh yeah, that's fine. But you still rejected my son. Think about that. You can do everything possibly good on this earth. But if you reject Jesus, it means nothing. It completely nullifies everything good that you've done. We have no advocate if we say that his word is a lie. His word is not in us and we have no one to plead our case. Chapter 2, verse 1, that's what it states. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours, also, uh, ours only, but also for the world. John just reiterating the, the, another cause for this epistle, that we may not sin. The reason and case for the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why so that we may not sin, that we may not have to be under the power of sin, that we may not have to obey the author of sin, but that we may obey the author of life. That's what the cross was about. That we may have again communion between us and the Father, just like it was in the garden. See, before it was all kosher. It was all good. No pun intended, you know. It was good. Adam and Eve were there. They are chilling, doing whatever they wanted in the presence of God. God walked among them. 
But what happened? God tells him, don't eat out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say watch out for the serpent. He said, hey, he said a command for them. He said, don't do this. You do everything else, don't do this. But what happened? Satan comes and says, did he really tell you not to do that? See, he doesn't, it's not like God tells us, hey, you know, listen to Satan and do the opposite of that. You know, he doesn't say that. He just sets, he's just like, come unto me, come and obey me. And you won't have to listen to all of the commands of Satan because everything in me will be much more pleasurable. And so we see that after, you know, he gave the command, Satan twists the command, and what happens? God doesn't say, oh, forget it, I'm done with him. What does he do? He begins pursuing them. He goes up to Adam and he's just like, dude, where have you been? What are you doing with your life? Why are you, what, why are you, what are you covering yourself for? God's so genius when he says that. He knows. But he's like, dude, what are you doing? You're my bud. We were best buds. We were in communion. What happened? And that right there just initiated the salvifical plans of God. Right there, he begins pursuing man, trying to have communion again with him, trying to restore it back to the way it was with Adam and Eve. But like I said before, it's a snowball effect. And so just like it's sin just starts increasing, God's love starts increasing. Just like in a marriage, right? We see, we see the bride of Christ and Christ being the groomsman, right? What happens in a wedding? It's not like it starts before that. The engagement is like the pinnacle of love and then it just starts decreasing from there, right? The engagement is just an acknowledgement of what's already going on, you know, a love for one another, and the love just starts increasing. And then the wedding day is the pinnacle of that love. And then it just starts increasing even more. Because that's the plans that God has, not only for us in a marriage, but for the restoration of between God and man. You see that? Do you see that picture? Of instead of, you know, having love being a descent, it's on an ascent as we get into eternity. As he begins to pursue us, he just begins, the snowball, yeah, of sin just keeps rising and rising, and so does his love just keeps rising and rising until the wedding day. And then it's all good. After that, we will be with him. But we will see him as he is. But, during this time, when God designated the, the garden to be holy and pure, to be full of purity and, and holy, we see that something defiled it. So us, we defile the Holy Spirit when we bring in things that are foreign to it. Our bodies are made to worship God and not anybody else. But when we start bringing in thus and so, when we start twisting scripture to justify our addictions, when we begin to adapt, adopt theories into our hearts to replace God's word, when we begin to exchange truths for half-truths, the Holy Spirit is just, just messy, a hot mess inside of you. It's just nuts. It's not good. Ellis, 
said again, the biggest lie is a half-truth because it spreads its error under the guise of an accepted reality. It's error. A half-truth is just an error disguising itself as an accepted reality. Even though this procedure just begins to war, uh, begins the war between the, the spirit and the flesh, you know, we must realize that God's will is for the spirit to win. Always. It's not part of a deity to lose. Do you realize the deity of God is always victorious? God is always victorious. Jesus was a victor on the cross. The Spirit's not set up for failure. It's not going to lose. The Spirit is always there for it to have victory over every part of our body, every member of our body. This is why humanity is in dire need of an advocate. They don't want to, trust me, they don't want to experience God as a judge. It's not good news. It's funny how it says, not only for us, but for the whole world. Oh, you guys are waiting for this one. What am I? <laughs> he is a perfect sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God for the entire world. It's true. He is the Jesus, the Christ that died for our sins and not only for ours, but for the entire world. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the advocate. He is the one whose work pleads our case. Yes, this is true. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. But... Even though he did die for the entire world, when we reject him, when we choose to reject him, we reject God's love. So does it mean that, that the cross paid for their sins? Yes. Does it mean they're saved? No. Because they reject the love that was shown on that cross. God cannot love you if you reject whom he sent. Think about that eternal death he doesn't want to do it he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked but like we talked about in revelation if he says oh okay you know what you rejected him i'm gonna let you slide jesus would be like are you kidding me are you kidding me you're gonna let him slide after all after what i did after me being completely obedient on the cross you're gonna let him slide that would cause division between deity, between God. But we know that that's not what happens. God doesn't sweep sin under, under the carpet. He deals with it. It's because they reject the person and work of Jesus Christ, just like in Ezekiel. It's not because they're rejecting us and our message. It's because they're rejecting holiness, purity, and righteousness. They want to cling on to sin and just neglect everything that is of God. Because the word is not in him, they make him a liar, and they say that the cross is not enough. They rely on him, they sing to him on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday they go and serve every other God. That's the issue. It's idolatry, straight up. You pick and choose, you have your spiritual buffet, and you go and get your filling, 
and that's it. But see, the thing is, is what we got to realize is going back to knowing Jesus clear is the fact that what kind of a God do we have that is willing to die for both the saved and the unsaved? How vast is his love, even for those who are choosing to reject him and have chosen to reject him? He still died for those people. He still died for all their sins, and they chose not to accept him. That's the heart that we should have for these people. You know, we know that the rain falls on the saved and unsaved alike. You know, we just know the maker, and we sometimes count it as a blessing, and sometimes they just curse it. You know, they're like, oh, this drought, blah, blah, the earth, Mother Earth is dying. Mother Earth, what are you talking about? Mother, there is no mother. What's what is that? I always ask people that. What's Mother Earth? I don't know. I have no clue what that means. You know. But we must. We know that to accept Him is to accept Him eternally. Just like to reject Him is to reject Him eternally. You know, we must cling to the cross. We have those two choices in front of us. You know, as Joshua said in twenty-five, Joshua twenty-five, fourteen. You must choose who you will serve, you know, and we could either do one of two things. We cling to the cross, knowing that by clinging to the cross, we are going to hide his word in our hearts that we may not sin. And Romans 8, 2, as we see this, we see the for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Think about that. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. We are called to be free. Through confession, through communion, through devotion, through just completely abiding in the vine. <laughs> Stephanie, uh, Stephanie, Emily had that word earlier. You know, she put it on a little Facebook. It was, uh, I was reading it and I was like, yeah, that's what we need. That's what we need to know His righteousness. That's what we need. We need to abide in Him that His nutrients may flow in us, that He may just give us nourishment to our bodies, all of our members, that the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit, would be pure and undefiled, that we may not let anything come in, anything foreign come in, that we'd be able to discern what's bad and cling to what's pleasing to the Lord. That again, we may be loved to one another and be Jesus to the people that don't know him. But it takes action. It requires a decision in our hearts, in our minds, to follow the Lord with the whole heart. It's our decision to do so. It's, it, it requires, it demands us acting upon his word. So, Lord, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, that your word satisfies us. Lord, it fills the void in our hearts. Lord, it brings nourishments to our souls. Lord, just every nutrient that our body needs, Lord, you have it here in your word. That we may not be weak vessels, Lord, but that we may be victorious, that we may be strong and of good courage, 
for you are with us, God. You are with us, Lord. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, Lord, we are worthless. We, we remain but dust. We have nothing to cling to. We have nothing to call an advocate. So, Lord, we just pray, Father, that, Lord, we would just be bold to share your word with people, that we would be bold to, to promote you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Lord, to represent you as a son who came and, and served people, Lord, to represent that very fact that you didn't come to, to, to be served but to serve. Lord, we want to do that. That we, at your second coming, may be just like you. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we just thank you for tonight, Lord. Just, in, just help us realize the fact of sin and that the fact that it separates us from you and it hinders our walk with you. Lord, we love you and just thank you for tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Yay. Word. Word to you, Mom.